Hello, and welcome to KPMG's Advice Worth Keeping, podcast where we hear about leading practices and privacy. I'm Orson Lucas. I'm a partner and the co-lead of KPMG's Information Governance and Privacy Practice in the U.S. Joining me today is Lene Solom of Solomers Partners. How are you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, welcome. And we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing now and how it's relevant to this space. Absolutely. Two years ago, I set up my own consulting practice focused on privacy program management, third-party risk governance and third-party risk management and enterprise risk management. Prior to that, I spent 29 years at Deluxe Corporation. I worked with setting up their privacy program starting in 1997. And the last 10 years was their chief privacy officer and head of risk and compliance. But now I'm independent and working with clients um, of all sizes in terms of the pain points between data privacy and third-party risk. That's great. I'm also involved in the shared assessments program. I'm the liaison to the advisory board and the steering committee for all of its member companies trying to bring together collective insights on what are the trends, what are the pain points, and the operational challenges that we see today. That's fantastic. You know, going back to 1997, I started in the space in the mid 2000s or so, 2005, 2006, and even then there really weren't a lot of privacy programs right. uh, or a lot of uh, organizations that had really a formal privacy program structure, especially around third parties. I guess tell me a little bit about that because that's really what I'd like to explore with you here today is this nexus between third party risk and privacy risk. I have a lot of companies that are asking me, what is it? that we should be doing in the privacy space as it relates to third-party risk. It's something that doesn't really cleanly fit into security. It doesn't cleanly fit into legal. Mm. It doesn't cleanly fit into procurement. Where does that typically fall? You know, that's a great question because I think it has evolved over time. I think traditionally a lot of organizations have put privacy in that legal box because it's really only looking at the statutes Mm -hmm. and security was looking at the bits and bytes and the technology controls and it created a breach focus back when we were looking at data protection. Mm -hmm. But it's evolving and I think that evolution is because expectations have changed. Mm -hmm. There's a greater requirement for maturity and it's taking privacy not just from a protect the company but protecting the individual. Mm -hmm. So once you start to add what's the authorized use of data the permissions, the consumer perspective, you really bring a different risk management tone to the table. Sure. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of organizations because it really requires collaboration when you look at the state of all of the events that are happening today mm-hmm. and the confusion around different and changing requirements. Yep, it is. And that key word, I think, is collaboration. So yeah, it's something that as we work with customers, one of the key things that we highlight from a target operating model standpoint, organizational design, is really the importance of making sure that you have all those voices at the table. Mm-hmm. So even while it's necessarily owned by one functional area, right, from a privacy third-party risk standpoint, ultimately there needs to be collaboration with those other areas as well. Because when you think about some of GDPR, the California Act, and others, the breach notification is an absolutely critical part of this, and protecting mm-hmm. the data is absolutely a critical part, but that's not the only part. So to your point, when you get into things like actual usage of the data, is it mm-hmm. being used for its intended use, or are third parties actually deleting the data as right. they're contractually obligated to do within the timelines that they're obligated to, at the end of the day, you may be protected in terms of contractual risk there, but there may still be some reputational risk exposure. Absolutely. And you bring up a really good point when you think of California. Mm -hmm. It's top of everybody's mind, trying to figure out the timelines for enforcement, the timelines for certain provisions. But one of the things it has for us from a collaboration perspective is a look 
at marketing and digital privacy vendors. Mm. The ecosystem for digital privacy and digital technology and the web mm. are traditionally the types of vendors that the sourcing and the security folks don't have visibility to. Sure. And it's really going to require a stronger collaboration between the marketing and web analytics teams and the governance teams. And I think that'll be a challenge for some organizations to figure out how do we corral all of these different entities that are involved mm. Because at the end of the day, that technology is delivering fabulous services mm -hmm. to the consumers, but you've got to figure out how to manage that perception and the real controls. What kind of leading practices have you seen around that? Um, I've really seen that doing internal working groups mm -hmm. where most of the web and the digital marketing, their goal is to move fast. Mm -hmm. And the compliance and governance teams need to be able to be the enablers, mm -hmm. not to be the roadblock to say you can't but let us help you find the path so you can move quickly. Mm. So it's that privacy by design that we've talked about right. in the right, past, right, right. but it's really putting it into the technology enablers of what can move more quickly in a mobile or online marketing perspective. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I've worked both in the privacy and the security space mm. and having a lot of similar conversations right now on the security side of the house, which is we're looking to move to the cloud more quickly, more aggressively. Security may be uh, an impediment or a roadblock to doing that as we work through some of these risk processes. So mm -hmm. it's very much incumbent on us as privacy professionals to help organizations to navigate how to make sure that we're embedding the right considerations, the right risks, right. the right risk management, the right controls, et cetera, into the process, but also not slowing things down, working at the speed of business. So I think that's a great point. And I think one of the other things I'm seeing is a significant focus on data governance. Mm. And it's not just the traditional e-discovery records management program any longer. It's really about data across the enterprise in all of the touch points. And that's harder and harder to manage mm. because you're managing it in disparate systems, mm. like you said, in the cloud. And it's a different governance model to figure out all of those interconnections right. and not just the classification of the data, but the use of the data. Right. And I think that's really going to transform organizations' vendor management programs, their vendor classification structure, mm. even how they manage what data they retain. Yeah. Well, I really think it's twofold, right? And it's very much an overlap between the two. So it's a focus on what vendors you're doing business with, which quite frankly, vendor management's been around a lot longer than 1997, right? right it's still right. something that very few of any organizations have fully mastered. And then you have the data view as well, mm -hmm. and very much overlap between the two. So traditionally, a lot of times what's driven vendor management has been focused on spend. It's been a focus on the criticality mm -hmm. of the business, which are important things for sure, mm -hmm. but not taking into account some of the specific privacy risks that may elevate the risk profile of a vendor. Making sure you're looking at your vendor community through that lens, getting a good sense of who you do business with, and then specifically what data is being shared with them for what purposes. Absolutely. And one thing I've always told my team is that there's a difference between yeah. vendor management mm -hmm. and vendor risk management. Right. I spent close to 30 years as a service provider to very regulated entities for very regulated products. And we had to understand that difference because in some cases, we would have been the bigger risk. Right. It was just a matter of perception. Yeah. But you really have to manage it from a business model perspective and understand whose area of compliance are we meeting mm -hmm. and making sure that you build the right size governance for the right type of privacy regulation. I think that's exactly right. One of the other interesting trends that I think I've seen, I'm interested in your perspective on this as well, you talked a little bit about data governance, right? Mm -hmm. How that's evolving as a practice and maturing a lot of organizations. 
I'm actually seeing a lot of customers start to work toward a more functional idea of data lineages, being able to extend out the visibility that you have, not only within your own environment, but looking at vendors as an extension of that ecosystem and being able to get proactive visibility into what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is an evolution there. And I think it starts a bit with the data lifecycle, mm-hmm. but I think it also comes into play with understanding what's authorized. What is the vendor doing? And if the vendor starts to change the products or services that they're delivering to the organization, that needs to evolve. And I almost see it evolving to not just a classification of who are critical, tier one, tier two, tier three, or whoever you structure your, your classification. Now you have to wrap around that. What are they doing for you? Are they marketing on your behalf? Are they extending and doing something in the selling space? Mm. Because now you have to apply a different set of rigor, Mm. a different set of consumer advocacy, Mm -hmm. a different viewpoint on privacy. So it's the context of the data, not just the controls of the data. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. It's something that's probably underappreciated in a lot of programs that we work with. I don't disagree with you. The way that you frame that is, is something that's inherent in all of the risk ranking and prioritization that sort right. of wraps around it as opposed to being the factor that factors in. I've, I've actually seen it done both ways. I think both are probably equally valid. The key point is you need to make sure that you're factoring that into the process as well and, and how you're evaluating and considering the risk. Of I think the key is, is that you have to look across all people, process, and technology. Right. You have to look at all of the components to determine who are the risky vendors, who are the service provider relationships that need additional or more frequent due diligence or scrutiny, mm-hmm. and figure out then how do you accomplish that and right. do that efficiently. Not just efficiently for the outsourcing organization, it has to be efficient, too, for the service provider that's responding. Yeah. I think that's probably another good point, which is we work with organizations. A lot of times, the vendor community is, as are a lot of the stakeholders within the organization itself, this is not their primary job. So some very large organizations have dedicated people who can work with you on these things yeah. and help you to understand what's going on. But the reality is most don't. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the dedicated teams are difficult to uh, justify from right. a budget perspective. Right. But I think it's not just a volume of people and resources, it's the right people and the right skills. Mm-hmm. Because to truly conduct assessments or do discovery or assess controls, when you start to move into areas that are outside of just the pure IT controls, it's a different skill set. Mm-hmm. It's a different perspective that you have to look at in evaluating what meets your standards, mm-hmm. what meets your own risk posture within your organization. So let's talk a little bit more about that. The idea of, I guess what I'll characterize as a, as a target operating model, but just put very simply, the concept of ownership. You touched a little bit on this at the beginning and the idea of the importance of a cross-functional team. Mm-hmm. So you have people from security and compliance, privacy, legal, procurement, all these other functional areas that probably have a piece of the privacy process here. But in practice, I'm curious what your perspective is, and i share my perspective as well, where I've seen privacy risk management, which is frankly a fairly nascent idea. This idea of privacy third-party security risk management is is something that hasn't really been out there and hasn't really matured much. But as we're seeing it evolve, where have you seen it set? Sure. I've seen a variety of operating models. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of cases, it's not something that I've seen a lot of organizations be very successful at Mm -hmm. because it is a little bit dynamic. Mm -hmm. I, I think privacy has been a little more aligned in a compliance and legal lane. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the transformation and the volume of frameworks Mm -hmm. that are happening today that that are impacting privacy and the changes in expectations Mm -hmm. that started with GDPR 
are accelerating with the California Consumer Privacy Act. It really is requiring a stronger discipline outside of just the legal interpretation of the privacy rules. The challenge is always in operationalizing what the organization has to do about their privacy obligations. That is the heavy lifting in an organization. It's not necessarily what did the statute say. It's what does it mean to my business? What does it mean to my business processes? How do I respond and how do I manage this effectively? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a interesting idea as well. When you think about privacy overall, where it says in your organization structure around that, it does tend to be followed in one of two categories. One is much more of a compliance-driven mm-hmm. set of conversations, and that's where privacy may be not necessarily viewed as a strategic enabler or something that we have to do, but it's not something that we want to do. A lot of times we'll fall more under compliance or legal. Right. And then you have other organizations that really are taking this different direction, which is how do we actually build customer trust and help to enable that as well. So and you do see some more forward-thinking organizations that actually blend the two of those as well. Mm-hmm. Where I see the third-party risks, it tends to be more under the privacy and legal and compliance side of that equation. And the primary reason for that is it's hard to justify privacy as an enabler of trust within the third-party realm, it's a difficult thing to convey to customers, I guess. I'm curious if you see anything different. It is hard to convey in certain types of organizations. I mean, I think there's a continuum. If you think about the more organizations that the revenue model, Mm. the product or service, is dependent on collection, access, or processing Mm. of personal data, you're going to find that just due to that fact, they need a more mature program. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it is the operating model Mm. if they're using data in those services. Mm -hmm. So where I see those organizations is really they bring more of a risk management, an integrated risk management Mm -hmm. or an enterprise risk management function because it it ties directly to the revenue and the life cycle. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's much easier to justify the ROI of appropriately risk ranking vendors and the, the privacy risks that they bring and what they're doing with your data when when it's you know direct ROI tied to it, right? Right. And it creates a new table stakes. Yeah, because if exactly. you're operating in a more regulated environment, you now have a new baseline to meet. Mm-hmm. And every regulation that comes around starts to add to that baseline. Mm-hmm. So there's more expectations, a heightened maturity. And that's how you start to look at the ROI, not just on what does it mean to revenue, mm-hmm. but there's also the cost to serve. Because responding to questionnaires or assessments or conducting them takes people time and resource. Yeah. There's been some interesting articles recently around the ROI of privacy. Building a business case that goes beyond cost justification through the lens of being able to mitigate against potential regulatory fines and class action lawsuits and things along those lines. And taking it more toward what is it that the business actually derives value in from this as well. I'm curious from your perspective on that as it relates specifically to third-party risk for privacy and being able to paint that picture of ROI. What are some of the things that people can very tactically take into their leadership team to help build this business case for actually building out a more effective program around this? So I'm a strong proponent of maturity models and benchmarking Mm -hmm. because data tells a story. And executives need to know not just a red, yellow, green but what's behind the story? Mm-hmm. What are you actually measuring? So most privacy programs and third-party programs need to be evaluating the metrics that they're defining and creating mm-hmm. because that's how you can start to justify whether you need more budget, you need more resource, and what are those expectations? Mm-hmm. 
because it can't just be the fear and escalation factor of the breach or the lawsuit. It's how are we responding? How quickly are we responding? Have we addressed these things? Mm -hmm. Where are the gaps? And have we provided to leadership enough information for them to make an informed decision Mm -hmm. that the organization has done what they need to do to address those gaps? And that's where I think being able to look at not just the policy for how you assess a third party, but being able to defend your position and very confidently say, we assessed, we set criteria, we evaluated that to our business strategy, we then prioritized, and then here's how we readjust and look at this over time. Because with the new expectations, what might have been a lower risk vendor now has been tiered up. Well, and it's so hard to. So I've done a lot of work in my past as well, maybe not quite the degree that you have, but certainly uh, <laughs> a little bit of work in my past as well in the third party space. And one of the interesting challenges that comes up over and over again is when you have a software development vendor or, mm-hmm. or a vendor that handles you know software development as well as infrastructure management, data center management, like all these different business process right. management, all these different pieces to it, onshore, offshore, being able to aggregate that into a single view right? So saying for vendor X that does all of these different things, here's their privacy risk, is not probably a productive conversation. You probably need to get a little bit more granular than that as you're going out and looking at it more through the lens of not just the vendor, but the vendor and use case combination. In other words, who are we working with there and what is the driver for sharing of information with that vendor and managing it that way? Yeah, I think it's a challenge right now because traditionally, even the definition Mm -hmm. of personal information is changing. Sure. So when every law starts to morph and change what you need to protect, Mm -hmm. it is that combination of data elements that starts to trigger the privacy risks and the privacy requirements. Mm -hmm. And I think for organizations, it creates a need to have a, a different vendor profile to truly understand for all of those services because you get economies of scale by working with one vendor, right. but you can also then cross into concentration risk right. or resiliency risk. Well, I think it's important there to understand where they're, just like you're thinking about this from the perspective of your organization, there's a combination of centralized and, and federated controls, right? right decentralized right. controls as well. It's the same thing, I think, with the vendors where there's maybe some pieces of their program, the policies, the way that overall that they manage consent and things like that that are consistent across the various different use cases. There may be areas as well based on the parts of the organization you're working with that differ. So really just understand that complete picture. Yeah, I think the complete picture is important. And I think the other piece that I'm seeing is uh, the connecting of the dots, not just to the protection of the data, mm. But is there a process to validate that the service provider, the entity, understands the limitations? What was in the contract that was built five Mm -hmm. years ago and what's operationalized today Mm -hmm. as staffing, as turnover, building out that process to confirm here's what you need to do or subcontracting provisions. Mm -hmm. I think those are types of governance processes that we're going to see become more frequent, Mm. and they support the overall third-party risk management program, Mm -hmm. but they might be standalone events because you're going to be doing that with a very targeted view on usage and context and permissions. Yeah, probably not a bad time to do it as you're going back through the contract renegotiation piece as well, starting to embed some of those uh, (laughs) privacy terms in there. Yeah. So maybe just one or two more questions and then we'll wind down. In terms of the cost of getting it wrong, let's say that you don't think about this broadly enough, you don't think about it deeply enough, 
you maybe just try to continue down the path of more traditional third-party risk management where you may have a security function that's embedded, you're, you're going out there, you're sending out questionnaires, you're doing periodic on-site assessments, but not really doing anything more than embedding a few questions around privacy. What's the cost of getting that wrong? Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And I think when organizations read the headlines, they always start to internalize that. Could that be my organization? And frankly, that's a good way to get the attention of senior leadership. Sure. Because if you see an event in the industry that happened to another company, that information can be then packaged mm-hmm. to say, here's how our organization is or is not addressing that risk. Because I think the easiest business case is always risk of a data breach, because that's a number people can put a dollar figure to. But I think there's another area to look at, and that's the overall infrastructure that it takes to actually manage third-party risk Mm -hmm. across the organization. Mm -hmm. And the more structure you have around it and repeatable processes, you can actually make that more efficient. Mm -hmm. The message that I think gets lost sometimes is how to break it into tangible components that the C-suite can understand. But I think the key is that now that when you look at like a three lines of defense model, Mm -hmm. there's more accountability now at management for Mm -hmm. third-party risk. Mm -hmm. It's not something that can be delegated. I think being able to show, here's the expectation for a company of our size or this size, here's what we need to do, and here's how we've benchmarked this mm-hmm. to peers, mm-hmm. I think is a helpful way. Very powerful. It's very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any last pieces of advice or uh, any parting thoughts for our listeners? I really think privacy and third-party risk are converging. Mm-hmm. They've always been at the table. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that privacy regulations are evolving worldwide, mm-hmm. so not just we've used California as the example here, mm-hmm. but when you look at Brazil's new law. I mean, it's continuing to bring together that discipline, not only of protecting the data, but putting the consumer at the front in terms of their rights to their information and then managing that privacy context. Mm -hmm. I think it will take considerable time for us in the United States to get to a stable or less dynamic landscape for Mm -hmm. privacy risk. Mm -hmm. As I speak to my peers in the industry, it's a slow process. And I think we're going to continue to face additional challenges with new requirements. I echo all those things. I think to your point, this is something that is very nascent. This overlap between third party and privacy is something that's still very much evolving. But I think with that comes a lot of opportunity to take advantage of some of the investments in better data governance and data visibility and really injecting that into visibility and what and how is shared with third parties. The legal requirements are different Mm -hmm. across the jurisdictions, but the common themes and fundamentals Mm -hmm. are very similar. Whether you're dealing with EU or healthcare data or financial services data, there is a common set of controls. Mm -hmm. You just need to apply a few different rules to certain aspects of the data. But to the blocking and tackling, the foundation is very similar. Well, this has been great. Lene, thank you so much. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining and listening to our Advice Worth Keeping podcast series. If you'd like to discuss this topic or further connect with me on any other privacy topics, please feel free to contact me at olucas at kpmg.com. Again, that's O-L-U-C-A-S at kpmg.com. To find this podcast online, please go to www.kpmg.com slash US slash podcasts. Thank you for your time today, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts on data privacy.